Hello and welcome to JHE Ministries Bible Study. I'm Jeffrey, minister and chaplain with JHE Ministries, and I'm glad to have you listening today. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and you'll receive notifications every time there's a new podcast. And in our Bible study, we are studying the book of Luke. We have learned about the birth of John the Baptist and Mary's announcement of her birth to come. Now we're going to start with the birth of Jesus. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to the beginning of chapter 2. Now let's get started. We're going to begin chapter 2 with the birth of Jesus. In comparison with the complex narrative in chapter 1, the actual birth narrative of Jesus is brief. In it, Luke stresses three things. The political situation to explain why Jesus' birth took place in Bethlehem. Secondly, Bethlehem was the town of David, and that's to stress Jesus' messianic claim. And thirdly, the humble circumstances of Jesus' birth. So let's begin chapter 2. We'll read the first five verse, uh, first uh, seven verses, and then we'll visit about them. Verse number 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Quinarius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, every one to his own city. Joseph went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the end. Now before we begin, I'm going to take a a couple side notes here. One, I want to talk about Bethlehem. Bethlehem in Hebrew means bread of life, which is a fitting place for the birth of Jesus, who is the bread of life. The town is located six miles south of Jerusalem. Bethlehem was called Ephrath in Jacob's time and was the burial place of Rachel. It was a home of Ibzan, the 10th judge of Elamech, the father-in-law of Ruth, as well as of Boaz, her husband. Uh, David was appointed king by Samuel in Bethlehem, which is why it was also known as the city of David. And of course, it's here in Bethlehem that the Messiah was born, which is how this town, which was really a small town among the clans of Judah, achieved its great fame. Its male children under two years of age were murdered in Herod's attempt to kill the king of Jews in Bethlehem. But today the city focuses on the Church of the Nativity. Essentially, it's a structure that was built by the Byzantine Emperor Justinian in the first part of the 6th century AD uh, on an older church that was built during the reign of the first Christian Emperor Constantine, and it was dedicated in May of AD 339. Under the altar of this church is a grotto which, according to local tradition, is the cave where Jesus was born. In a nearby underground chamber, the Latin scholar Jerome spent 30 years making his Latin translation of the Bible. 
So just a little information about Bethlehem to kind of help us understand the city in which Jesus was born in at the time he was born. And one more quick side note before we get into verses 1 through 3. I do want to say something about the amazing providence of God. The Messiah is to be the family of David and is to be born in Bethlehem. But the chosen parents live in Nazareth, which is 100 miles from Bethlehem. A decree of Rome requires them to go to Bethlehem just as the child is about to be born. Thus, God makes the decree of a pagan empire, the instrument for fulfilling his prophecies. So basically, this Gentile emperor was a puppet to further the divine program of God. Just some food for thought. So getting into verses 1 through 3, Luke clearly intends to secure the historical and chronological moorings of Jesus' birth, which was approximately 4 B.C. Now, ironically, it is precisely this that has led to some question of Luke's writing. This was a census of the Roman Empire. The purpose of the census was taxation. Roman historical records place the census of Quinarius in AD 7, which was 10 to 13 years after Jesus was born. This historical discrepancy was for a long time troublesome to Bible students. But in recent years, ancient papyrus have been found that show that Quinarius was governor of Syria twice. Now Luke expressly says that this was the first census. It has also been discovered that people were indeed required to go to their ancestral homes for the census. Thus, archaeology confirms one by one and in detail the historical accuracy of biblical statements. In other words, we can trust the Bible, and Luke wrote it correctly. Uh, the census details may have been common knowledge in Luke's time, but many of these details have been lost to us. With these missing details, there's always other speculations as of what is meant by some of the texts in Scripture that may or may not be completely supported. But the important thing is it was customary to return to one's original home for a census that was taking place. We have this in the Bible. We can believe it. It's fact. There was a census, and Joseph took Mary and went to Bethlehem. Now, the mention of Caesar Augustus may not only be for historical background, but also to contrast the human with the divine decrees. Here we have Amir Galilean. He travels to Bethlehem at the decree of a Roman empire. And actually, it is fulfillment of the divine king's plan. It is the fulfillment of God's plan. The fullness of the time has come when God would send his son through a virgin birth. We now have a time, we now have a place, and now we have a manner of birth given to us in Luke's writings. Jesus is born at a time when the fourth monarchy, monarchy was in its height. Getting into verses 4 through 7, I'm going to look at those together. Bethlehem was crowded when they arrived from Galilee, and you can certainly understand why if everybody had to go back to their hometown to, be, to have this census. The word translated in may mean a public lodging place or a guest house that was built onto a private home. Most likely it's thought to have been a guest room, which may have been the home of some of their 
uh, Davidic king, uh, kin, the kinfolks from the David line. The 100-mile journey from Nazareth by foot or donkey would have been long, and it would have been hard on a woman who's about to give birth to a child. But Luke states the simple fact that when Mary's time came to give birth, the only available place for the little family was one usually occupied by animals. Now, it may have been a cave, as tradition suggests, or part of a house or an inn, but even today in many places around the world, farm animals and their young are often kept in the same building as the family quarters. The, now, the manger or the eating trough was ideal to use as a crib. But Luke doesn't seem to be betraying a dismissal uh, or a dismal situation with an unfeeling innkeeper as a villain. Rather, he's establishing a contrast between the proper rights of the Messiah in his own town of David and the very ordinary and humble circumstances of his birth. So let's go back to our scripture and let's continue reading. <clears throat> I want to take a look at the next four verses, beginning with verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now in verse 8, we actually have some rich information here. The traditional shepherd's field where the angelic choirs sang the birthday hallelujahs of Earth's new king is just a few miles east of the ancient village of Bethlehem. So it's not too far. Now among the occupations back in the ancient times, shepherding or being a shepherd or a sheep herder, that was considered a lowly profession or a lowly place in social life. Shepherds were considered untrustworthy, and their work made them ceremonial, ceremonially unclean, according to Jewish law. Thus, the most obvious implication is that the gospel first came to the social outcasts of Jesus' day. This would accord with a recurring emphasis that we will find in Luke. Now, we see the first Im imitation of this unique birth was not given to the religious leaders in Jerusalem, but to shepherds on a Judean hillside. These were humble men who were faithful at the regular work. I want to quote St. James Stewart, who said, Is there not a world of meaning in the fact that it was very ordinary people business, a busy about very ordinary tasks whose eyes first saw the glory of the coming of the Lord? It means first that the place of duty, however humble, is the place of vision. And it means second that it is the men who have kept to the deep, simple pieties of life and have not lost the child heart to whom the gates of the kingdom most readily 
open, unquote. It may also be significant that the Lord reminded David, who was to become Messiah's royal ancestor, that he was called from the shepherd's life in the second book of Samuel. And finally, in the Old and the New Testaments, shepherds symbolize all the ordinary people who have joyfully received the gospel and have become, in various ways, pastors to others, sharing the good news. Taking a look at verse 9, first we have a single angel appearing. The shepherds were afraid at first, because I am sure that they have never seen anything of this magnitude before. So I'm sure they were frightened of what they were first seeing. But the angel quickly calms and reassures and gives them comfort and calms their fears. So in verses 10 and 11, first we have a theology in miniature, if you will. The theology is this, Jesus is a savior, which is expressed in his name, Jesus. Then he is Christ, the anointed one of God, the Messiah of Israel. And finally, he is the Lord, God manifest in the flesh. Now, the angel's announcement includes several of the most frequently used words in Luke's gospel. We have bring good news. We have the word joy. We have today. We have the word Savior. And we also have Lord. This shows the tremendous importance of the angel's pronouncement. It is a bold proclamation of the gospel at that very hour of Jesus' birth. The time has come for the fulfillment for, excuse me, for the fulfillment of the prophetic expectation of the Messiah's coming. They've been waiting for this. Now it's time. It's here. Now, before we leave here, I want to quickly point out one other little thing. In the text, we see the word behold. Anytime you see the word behold, it is a flashing sign, if you will, to get your attention to say, hey, what's going to follow next is very important and it's worth remembering. Throughout the New Testament, we will see this word used a lot, even by Jesus. And every time you do see this word, behold, just remember that what is about to follow is something important. So now, finally, in verse 12, how were the shepherds going to know who the child was? Well, the angel gives a twofold sign. First, the baby would be wrapped in swaddling cloths or clothes. They had seen the shepherds had probably seen babies numerous times in swaddling clothes before the angel had announced that this baby was the Lord, but no one had ever seen the Lord as a little babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. Babies were snugly wrapped in these long strips of cloth that gave them warmth, protected their extremities, and it gave them a sense of security in their newborn existence. Now, secondly, or the second sign that they would find was that the baby would be lying in a manger. Now, it's doubtful that the shepherds had ever seen a baby in such an unlikely place. This indignity was reserved for the Lord of life and the glory when he came into our world. The combination of a newborn's baby's wrappings and the use of a manger for a crib would be a distinctive sign. 
Now, perhaps they also imply that in spite of seeming rejection, symbolized by the manger, the baby was the spatial object of his mother's care. On the other hand, the sign might be only the strange circumstance of the newborn child being in the manger at all. It's not every day that we see or even hear of a baby lying in a manger in swaddling clothes. But that's food for thought. You think about that. And until next time, God bless you and keep living Christian strong.